0: You're Johnny? Am I? I sure hope so. Come on in. We're here to help you.
1: So, Matt, here we are, a winter special. You wanted to do some specials, and my question to you is, how's this any different from an episode? What makes this special a special, other than it's not in one of our seasons? Absolutely nothing. Okay, that's cool. Johnny Mnemonic, your choice of film for this special. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us why. Tell us why you chose Johnny Mnemonic.
0: Because I thought having a film with Keanu Reeves in while uh, The Matrix is out, uh, would be algorithmically beneficial. Nice nice use of the word algorithm. And because, well, I, I, I've been meaning to watch it for a while, and then I turned it on, and it opens up with uh, an open crawl, which uses the word Infowars, uh, talks about a uh, a disease, a pandemic of a disease, <laughs> although it probably wouldn't be a pandemic because it's, um, it's not a virus <laughs> or, a, or anything like that. I don't, I don't know what the covers that word. Anyway, like a pan-malady. And then it goes, the internet in 2021, and I was like, okay, we should do this because this is our last chance to do it before the end of 2021. So in other words, this film is set in
1: 2021, and we are now in yep. 2021. So we can have a little bit of a chat as we go along about how 2021, because it's made in 1995. Yep. So 26-ish yep. years in the future. How, 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 how well did they get it right? I need a Sinologic 60, Sogo 7 data gloves, a GPL stealth module, one Burdine Intelligent Translator, and Thompson iPhones.
0: So this is a film set in 2021 in which a very sort of cyberpunk neo-noir thing from the 90s. We've not done one of those uh, recently, have we, Dave? (laughs) Uh, the main character played by Keanu Reeves is Johnny Mnemonic, who is an information carrier. Now, he I'm going, a... just a minute. I
1: need to stop you there. His name really isn't Johnny Mnemonic. It's more like Jesus Christ. You know, Christ isn't Jesus' second name.
0: Fine. Johnny, just Johnny. Jo- Johnny,
1: just Johnny, <laughs> or uh, a.k.a. Mr. Smith.
0: So Johnny, just Johnny, is an information carrier. He has a an implant in his brain. Which is wet wired? Don't like that word, but it's used into his brain, it, taking a part of where some of his memories used to be, and it can store um, data for data smuggling. It has a massive, a whopping eighty gigabytes, which can be doubled to one hundred and sixty gigabytes, which is not very much space. As he discovers quite quickly, he attempt in an attempt to get his memories restored, enough money to get his memories restored. He takes on a job which requires more data storage then he uh has um he has to get it out of his head within three days or he dies yeah that gives you the that gives you a nice countdown doesn't it yeah and to avoid sort of really rolling through every single thing um basically it's, it's very noirish so lots of people want this data in his head and it's worth a lot of money and it's also very beneficial for the world because it is a cure for the um the syndrome that's besetting humanity
1: yeah i think um i, I think you're you, You've you stressed the noir aspect of this several times, and I think that's exactly right. And I'm not really just talking about the kind of the mise-en-scene, the look and feel of it, but it's really like the way in which mm. it's, the film is structured. You know, you pass through a number of scenes, a number of scenarios, and, you know, it's qu- it's made quite clear Johnny doesn't know what he's carrying. He doesn't even really care, mm-hmm. yeah, what he's carrying. Um, yeah. As the film progresses, you just keep getting clues and windows into what it might be, and he goes through a number of scenarios. You know, he'll meet a lot of characters along the way. Slowly by slowly, the scenario is revealed. It's kind of like it, it, they, these little, little series, little chunks of, of lacking information are, are returned to him piece by piece by piece until, at the end, mm. everything is revealed and the world is revealed to him in that way and that's very noir yeah absolutely the 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 hollow man at the center doesn't really know what he's got himself involved in and it's usually a man (laughs) Uh, that's why I I gendered it it's usually a man and the whole process of the film is about filling in these blanks and discovering the world it's very different than an an action movie in that way where everything's given up front and you've got a jewel to guide to get you to the end yeah and loads of jewels here yeah it's more structured around the process of revealing the world step by step by steps and that's very noirish so yeah it's a noir film it's a noir film to its to its very bones i loved it i'd never seen this film back in the day and it, it, it occurred to me and i thought you've given us a lot of nineties films, as you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier. And I hadn't seen many yeah. of them. And, and I realized it's my, it's my, it's my lost decade. Uh, that's the subject for a very different podcast than this, but, but I didn't see much films or much telly or anything during that decade. Um, I was away or away with the fairies, so to speak. And, um, it's been an absolute revelation having this first, this the, you know, this uh, first year of the podcast. And you introducing me to all these films of ones that I've missed. And Johnny Depp, I've got to say, it's bursting with ideas. And it, it's one of those films that you watch it the first time, you fall in love with it. You watch it a second time, and you think, my word, there's a lot in here, and there's a lot going on, and it's really clever, and there's lots of layers to it. So you know. To all those people that kind of come down a bit on this film, I say to it, I say to them all, you've got that very wrong. You've got it very wrong indeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what I, I would say to it is you just have to realise what unlocks this film is that the director was also a carpenter. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's why he prefers wooden acting. Oh, for Gods, now
1: yeah, okay. I no, I'm not. I'm not buying that either. I did a lot. Of, I did a lot of Kino Reeves um, re-watches. Keanu, That's uh, as may be, and I um, I went back to the Bill and Ted's, which are absolutely awesome, which come before this, of course. And he's a brilliant comedy actor. Yeah, and it's when the comedy kicks in towards the end of the film that he's, 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 he's absolutely stunning. He's brilliant. I, I know. I, I, he's got a certain style. He plays a hollow man, and that, again, feeds into this whole. whole yeah. He is a blank. He is someone that's shallow. He's someone that doesn't care about anything, and it's, it's there from that very first scene where he's in a hotel room. You know, he's hooked up with a prostitute. He mentions prostitutes later in the film. He's he's not a yeah. action hero. He is a he is a horrible, self centered capitalist, for want of a better word.
0: Absolutely, and it's uh, and it is a privilege seeing him acting before. I think this happened a re- little bit before the second Matrix film, when he learned that it's possible for him to move his head without moving his shoulders.
1: <laughs> You're going to keep on hammering on this one with your carpenter <laughs> metaphor, aren't you?
0: I like him. I like him. I like him, and I think I think he's very he's a very well loved uh, figure. In Hollywood, um, yeah, and deservedly so. Yeah, deservedly, and you know, I, I just think it's fair to uh some of the issues with this film. So, I mean, it isn't; it's a bit clunky. Doesn't mean it's a bad film. It's a bit clunky, and but I like it as well. I think um, I hadn't actually seen it properly. I think I, I think it was. I think my dad was watching it, and I was in the room uh, when I was a teenager. Because and the only thing I really remembered. Was um the fact that they were in a dark room at some point, <laughs> um, and the uh, the laser garrote thing, um, which was really cool. Yeah, um, I really like the laser garrot
1: thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Bursting with ideas. There's tons of stuff in there. I mean, yeah, just on 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 those things. Did you did you notice the mention of it's 1996 of an iPhone? It's e y e. I don't mind. It's an iPhone. Thompson iPhone. How do you know it's spelled like that? Did you get the script? Uh, subtitles. Ah, the I like the idea. The, the whole um, virtual world and the way in which kind of locked into it and navigates it with all of the all with the uh, with the um, sort of like uh, the glasses on and and these
0: things on his hands
1: and stuff yeah. like that going through.
0: All of that was awesome. The uh, uh the CG sequences in this were amazing um i think i think they really stood up um because they're unlike a lot of like mid-90s cg it's stylized it's not doesn't actually have to look realistic so they were able to Mm -hmm. just go a little bit um a little bit freer and use what the technology could do rather than fighting with it to make it do something that it can't do so how do you fit all that shit in your head anyway Must have been pretty good at memorizing, huh?
1: Implant. Wet-wired. I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory.
0: You had to dump a chunk of what?
1: My childhood.
0: Your childhood? Really? All of it. You can't remember a thing? Maybe there's some residual traces. Every now and then there's something, but I, uh,
1: I can never hold on to it.
0: That's a seriously weird-ass thing to do. Yeah, well,
1: maybe I didn't lose anything I wanted to keep. I needed the space for the job.
0: Well, you got parents and stuff?
1: You got parents and stuff?
0: Yeah, once. But I haven't seen them in years.
1: Yeah. Anyways, I don't think about it much, okay?
0: Well, what do you think about when you're alone?
1: I think. I want to get out of this rat hole. I want to get online. I need a computer.
0: Shall we have a, a chat about how close it was to 2021 in terms of stuff that it predicts? Yeah, go on. Well, 1st let's talk about the phrase Infowars because this film is full of conspiracy theories. I, I think it is fair to say that the most important economic property at the moment, for as long as there's um, still oil, um, is information, or, or at least we could say that the, the power, the economic power of information, has massively increased. I think that's true. Uh, the need to surreptitiously transfer files. I mean, we, in the end, we sort of went with encryption rather than storing <laughs> them and sort of delivering them in a James Bondy sort of way. I mean, it is worth mentioning that my phone has got more storage than uh, Johnny Mnemonic's head, which I think they could have done better at. Um, I think, but I, but by using Moore's law, but I I think um, if they'd said something like three petabytes, it probably would have sounded as silly at the time. Grand conspiracy theory that is Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, no. which is this mad thing that he just announced about two weeks ago at the time of recording, which basically is 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 just Johnny Mnemonic's um, depiction of the internet as uh, something that you interact with with VR visually, and there are visual representations to the Things that you're doing and the sort of um, three dimensional visual metaphors to what you're doing, rather than uh, the predominantly text based internet that we have today. So they may be about five years behind that, but you know Zuckerberg seems to want to make that happen. Whether it actually will or not is—I don't think it will because uh, it certainly doesn't look anywhere near as convenient as a real iPhone. You know, needing all of that kit. Oh, and obviously, obviously the disease. The virus thing, <laughs> not the virus. Whatever it was, the um, it's called the nerve attenuation syndrome. The black shakes. The black shakes makes it sound very piratey. It's a,
1: they call it a, different things, you know. They call it a plague at some point, and and we don't really know yeah. what it is. I mean, we're in we're in the thick of it. It's
0: kind of oh, like... that's it. Of course, we Come get on. told. Yeah. We get told what it is. It's it's five. This the five G conspiracy theory. I forgot to write that down. <laughs> <Yeah>. Electromagnetic <laughs> electromagnetic waves cause us to be sick. And this is told to us by Spider,
1: Spider the Doctor. When we're in the Spider's yeah. lair, he gives us this really... Henry Rollins. Yeah, Henry Rollins, who I absolutely yeah. love as a recording artist. And it was great to see him in this. Um, we mm-hmm. get to see, he's a, he's a, He calls himself, or he's called a flesh mechanic, but he, he's called, he says it's caused by tech. He just walks around the room, points this and this and this and this. And it's the this this technology back, background technology that is kind of like mm. infecting people and overwhelming people. But you also get the sense of it's it's because um, Jane we haven't mentioned Jane yet. Jane um, falls in with Johnny in, in a wonderful scene, which mixes opportunism with um, with with trying to get back at um, somebody uh, who's 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 uh, kind of ignoring her a bit of spite. Um, and money, mm. um, she's been kind of uh, augmented in some way. We've got these ideas of augmented humans. It happens with the street preacher as well. There's not a bowl, uh, you know. There's not a human bone in his body, kind <laughs> of thing. And you get the yeah. sense that it's it's not simply just because technology is out there. It's because it's in us as well. Um, and mm-hmm. th- there's something like I, I think they leave it open and loose enough, right? Um, that it becomes an interesting concept without it just being dismissible as, you know, that old... Every G we've had, you know, it's got increasingly louder. Than a, but you're right. My view would rather yeah. be the opposite, that, that these conspiracy theories that we've got now around this kind of stuff are fed out of fiction like this, which is trying to explore something conceptually, yeah? And there's a literalism in the world amongst these conspiracy theorists, yep, who don't see these things as metaphors and ways of thinking about technology and our being in the world, right? but take them very, very literally yep, and then make a conspiracy theory out of them. In other words, it's just dumb knowledge rather than any kind of like critical engagement with
0: actual technology. That would be my view. I mean, I, I would take a, the opposite view, I guess, but I mean, really, it's probably a dialectic by which I mean it's um, the fictional and then the the actual conspiracy theories um, sort of co-constitute each other. They happen at the same time, like a chicken and an egg sort of thing. Yeah, I actually tried to find when these conspiracy theories first turned up. Um, so there's, I mean, the, the two major ones are the electromagnetic wave conspiracy theory and the big pharma conspiracy theory. And they both seem i couldn't couldn't really find a definite date but it seems like they arrive in the 90s as well don't know if we could say that johnny mnemonic caused it if so um following your your logic if if that is the case then there's a huge body count to this film (laughs) um or um there's a kind of 90s desire for answers to certain questions about this which sort of starts to snowball so in like, mid-90s in the uk is when the mmr or the false claims of mmr being ineffective uh, the beginnings of fa- vaccine denial in the uk was happening um it's, it's the beginning of the information technologies allowing new forms of uh, communication and collaboration across the world um and it is really the information technologies that have allowed um, things like the conspiracy theories mentioned Very to become true. as prominent as they are now you know I mean, Facebook groups being the most, I don't know, I I, I can't, I don't know enough to say if they're not most impactful, but certainly the ones most in the spotlight at the moment. So, um, you know, it's it's sort of coming from a time where, you know, the Berlin Wall has just fallen, in Fukuyama's words, stolen from Hegel, that we have at the end of history. And, you know, things seem to be just getting better, uh, to refer to. The Blair <laughs> campaign, which is only a couple of years after this in the UK, obviously Clinton already in office in the uh, US. Um, things seem to be generally getting better on a sort of like a slightly mixed market, sort of third way capitalism. And I think that leaves open more room for questioning about other stuff. Like, so, as you know, no longer questioning about how much food you have on your plate, so much you can start questioning about maybe they've got a cure for cancer somewhere and they just want the money. And things start to get a little bit more taken out of reality. So I'd say the film, like the conspiracy theorist, is asking certain questions about where are we going? You know, um, I mean, this is a bit slightly before my time. I was alive, but my um, my understanding is a big part of the third way was that Marshall McLuhan sort of, um, uh, or at least understanding of the information technology is going to be the the key thing. So this is an interesting meditation of what would happen. If we, we still have, um, from an American perspective, if we still have no free healthcare, we still have private, private healthcare companies for profit, medicine being for profit, I should say, the technology did cause a condition and they could cure it or they could treat it. What would they do? And I think that's a fair question to ask. It's just, um, you know, you also need facts. And in this world, it's factually true, whereas in the real world,
1: it's it's the literalism in the real world that I have a problem with, with regard to fictional worlds as if they're supposed, you know, the idea is quite prevalent now that that an image on a screen is a representation. In other words, it just represents the world, Mm. whereas the idea of what happens mm. in fiction and particularly sci-fi which is you know why let's let's make this point completely clear one of the reasons we wanted to explore sci-fi is because it is thinking outside the terms of representation it can't be mistaken shouldn't be mistaken for representation because it's one minute one hour 1000 years into the future it's a different take another view uh, an experiment mm. you know every sci-fi film is an experiment in thought so to speak. So yeah, I mean, I I, I think your your reading yeah, is I, far I, more I, subtle than mine, but I, I agree with every word. I think you've you've kind of kind of given the genesis of what I wanted to talk about this literalism in the world.
0: You are talking about that sort of made me think about it again and again just looking back at the show that we've had um in terms of the podcast not don't think about the (laughs) year that we've all had no one do that think about the podcast the podcast was fun i mean there's a category error you know sort of this sort of like conspiracy theories are very narrative driven and whereas in a film or in a book things happen in those worlds according to a logic of narrative you know it's like chekhov's gun if the revolver's there in the first act you know it's going to get fired and we get irritated when these things don't happen so within johnny mnemonic you are told at the beginning oh that here's a, a front crawl of a bunch of things that are happening and you know they're all going mm-hmm. to be logically related somehow you know this you know that that is how the story is going to play out whereas the world doesn't work like that the world doesn't have any narratives that we don't create ourselves so they the, you know attempting to create an enemy that is acting in a clandestine way to make the world worse which ultimately all Conspiracy theories come down to we all know which so-called faction of people it always mm-hmm. ends up being in conspiracy theories. It comes out of this a very misguided attempt to believe that the world makes sense in the way that films make sense because <laughs> they don't. I think Zizek says somewhere you know the biggest argument against a the conspiracy theory is that uh, not all yeah, know what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all all there is is interests and and people failing ultimately to defend interests in the most optimum way. So there's power and interest and, and, and that's it. There's no grand plan. There's just people. I mean, the, the, the ultimate thing with politics today is everything is short-term. Maybe it's always been like that, but it's particularly harmful now. So what does cause it? What causes it? The world causes it. This causes it this causes it this causes it
1: information overload all the electronics around you poisoning the airwaves technological fucking civilization but we still have all this shit because we can't live without it
0: let me do my work so um i uh having watched the film twice i've really done my homework this time i've watched it twice and i actually read the short story Right, okay. So that's an interesting thing. And uh, it was interesting. It's from a lot earlier, so it's from the very early 80s, the, uh, the, the short story with the film being obviously mid-90s. What's remarkable is how much stuff they've crammed into this film. So things that weren't in the book. There's a whole disease thing. I mean, the accuser are in it, but it's just this. Um, it's just some information the accuser wants. So that whole Big Pharma subplot's not there. Instead of it being like he plugs into the um, the device and it sort of gets uploaded like it's a USB stick, it actually goes into a trance and then speaks in like a an encrypted computer language for a bit. With he sort of basically he checks out and his body gets taken over by the program. It made me think of um, tapes like data cord or cassette tapes as the way that um, we used to transmit programs on home micros mm. in the eighties. You know, sort of like there's like a computery sounds come out of him. They don't, you don't actually get a description of them because he's never actually witnessed it because he. Um, blacks out during it, so I thought I thought that was an interesting change. All that stuff about the internet wasn't there. Probably a big part of it being that the internet hadn't been invented yet in the early eighties. although it was certainly conceivable because I think they were working on it. The big, the biggest thing that I was so surprised was actually in the uh, the the story was the Dolphin Jones. It's a little bit more dark in the in the in the book because um, he's actually been. Uh, I mean, he seems to be a bit more independent. It's like they sort of interact with them completely, like as humans. So that's sort of implied in the film, but you don't really see it. But he's also addicted to heroin, and the military did that to help control them because they had problems with the dolphins um, committing mutiny. This is true. They
1: were training dolphins during the Second World War to deliver bombs.
0: It's going to develop a mechanism by which you could put pigeons inside rockets as well, um, to make them homing. It sounds like a joke. It's it isn't a joke. poor an,
1: the poor animal community of this earth. We are we don't only eat them. We don't only torture them. We are, we use them as weapons. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I I mean I, yeah the dolphin thing that's in the short story that 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 surprises me. I was wondering, you know, the way in which it's hooked up the connection to minority report kind of does seem to me as though it goes back to. You know, some of these are tropes that are in sci-fi. The idea that you need to mm. pass stuff through bodies, in order—I think that's in Minority mm. Report as well, which, of course, comes from another source of novel, which is older than this. Okay, so you, but you did list a lot of things that this that the short story didn't have. So it goes to show, and it's worth mentioning that you didn't actually mention the name of the writer, which is William Gibson, and he also wrote the film. So, in a sense, what you can see here is him coming back to his work, what, 10, 15 years later.
0: Are you sure he wrote the film?
1: Yeah, yeah. He's a screen I've, he wrote the screenplay. I'm sure he did. He comes back to the screenplay to re- write the uh, to write to rewrite it given the the more knowledge that we now have about the the world and where where it's heading technology wise.
0: Yep, no, you're right, did the screenplay. Okay. So that, that makes it even more interesting. Uh, Dolph Lundgren's weird preacher cyborg thing isn't in the book. Having been in a room with Dolph Lundgren at a sci-fi convention and he seemed very unhappy to be there, I've sort of noticed <laughs> he doesn't always seem very happy in his roles. However, um, he looked l- like he was absolutely loving playing that part for whatever reason.
1: <laughs> I suppose um it's it, it just as we 're going on source material it 's worth saying that there's a longer cut of this film that was screened in Japan first off about ten minutes longer, and apparently half most of the scenes got cut are the ones with him in it and um, apparently he absolutely loved this role because it gave him it, gave, it allowed him to show his range and um, you can actually see those clips on on the internet okay um, uh, if you check them out on youtube there was a lot more with
0: um Takahashi as well.
1: Yeah, so another one of my great uh hero writer director um from Japan, uh, Takeshi Takano, um who's made some absolutely stunning films, lots of Yakuza films, um, but always a very left field. He's he's not a mainstream filmmaker in but a very in, but his films are incredibly enjoyable too. It's just there's so many great people in this film. And if while we're mentioning other people, We've got to mention Ice T as J Bone, as this kind of, as the low tech HQ runs Evan, which is a low tech HQ. Ice T was big at this time, and he, uh, he was absolutely stunning in this film. So, yeah, brilliant.
0: Listen up, world. This is the last blast from Low Tech World Headquarters. And
1: believe this, we're going out with a bang, baby. So get your VCRs ready, because we got what you need. We got
0: the cure to NAS. That's right, the cure to the black shakes, and it's coming to you live from the labs up at Pharmacom. And believe this, they did not want you to get this information. So here it is, coming at you, low-tech style.
1: <sighs> Hit me. So, look, I, I, I want to propose something, right? So it's, the film's called Johnny Mnemonic. We know what mnemonics are, system for remembering stuff you know my favorite one from a kid when i used to play guitar in a band was every acid dealer gets busted eventually and that's reminded you of the guitar strings and how to tune them <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know you, but i but i like, i want to make a proposal this film isn't about memory at all mm-hmm. rather I, it reminded me very much of lacan's idea of the barred subject so i want you to imagine an s with a line running through it so Lacan, 20th century psychoanalyst from France, sort of like picking up Freud's mantle. Like a dollar sign. Yeah, but the, the, the line is at an angle. Oh, an S crossed out. Yeah. And, well, yes, indeed. It's it's reminiscent, as many people have said, of Heidegger's crossing out of the word being. But And you could tell me if, if there's something other going on here with that afterwards, if you like. But it comes from... Uh, a late 50s seminar when he introduces this term, bar, the barred subject. Mm. And what he's really talking about is that a subject is barred from itself. It, it, it cannot understand itself. And there's a division of the subject. He calls it the divided subject. Um, and it's worth mentioning, while Freud doesn't use the word subject in psychoanalysis, this, this kind of gets brought into theory a bit later on. Um, it, it is a homophone for Freud's S, which is another word for the id. So in other words, what, what, what Lacan's doing with this barred S is trying to explore the unconscious and say so the subject is barred from itself and is alienated from itself. And why this is really important in, in, um, and, and, and really got a Lacanian bent, so to speak, this this alienation, this subject barred from itself, is not an accident. It's not a consequence of a mm. system that we live in, an economic system out there in the world. But it's constitutive. It's constitutive of the human subject. So there's no escape. There's no resolving it. There's no wholeness that we can ever we can ever uh, kind of like attract to. In other words, I am already other. This is another, and indeed, mm. he also puts a strike through the through the capital letter A, "autre" for other in French. So, in other words, God is dead; the other doesn't exist. There's an incomplete other. So you've got this kind of like um, this fractal notion of the subject where we're barred from ourselves, but we're also barred from another, from the other, from any kind of meaning outside the world as well. And I think the film. Mm does this really well. And here's just six moments where I think the film really plays on this with some images. So it's there in the very okay. opening scene. In the opening scene, Johnny's on the bed, Ralphie uh, is there, and what does Johnny want? He tells us he's had loads of his memories pushed out so he can have this wetware in there, and he doesn't know his second name. We find out a bit later. Yeah, hence we get the Johnny Who, Just Johnny from Spider. Yeah, get keeps calling him Just Johnny. Making this point Johnny who he doesn't know who he is it, um, his date at the ho- at the um at the, the hotel ask him who he is where he's from he doesn't know he's got this he, he doesn't know his second name think about when he's just on the upload he walks into the bathrooms that mirror and there's this picture of a reflection and he's just split into three Johnnies. and that immediately comes back to the three images in the room which are going to be the the encoding key which itself gets split and half destroyed. So this this idea of splitting is going on all the time throughout the film. You've got these other moments where he keeps getting um, little bits of memory come back and hit him. He's just got this idea of he doesn't know who he is. He's barred from himself. And this plays out in all of the images throughout the film. It's It's not a film about memory. It's about how we are, in a sense, not really able to understand the world, be in the world fully or understand ourselves or know what our motivations are fully. And I think that's why his speech, the famous speech from the film where he's standing on um, that kind of heap of dirt and goes, look, I'm down with the dogs, you know, last week's newspapers blowing in my face. I want room service, blah, blah, blah which is kind of like this big speech of privilege that he gives, you know, I want to be in the Imperial Hotel in, in Beijing. I think that's where it was. Yeah. He, isn't, he doesn't know who he is. He's barred from himself. It's not a film about memory. It's a film about subjectivity. What the fuck is going on? You know, all my life... I've been careful to stay in my own corner, looking out for number one, no complications. Now, suddenly, I'm responsible for the entire fucking world. And everybody and his mother is trying to kill me, if, if my head doesn't blow up first.
0: Maybe it's not just about you anymore.
1: Listen, you listen. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be. Not down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last watch newspapers blowing back and forth. I've had it with them. I've had it with you. I've had it with all this. I want room service. I want the club sandwich. I want the cold Mexican beer. I want a $10,000 a night hooker. I want my shirts laundered. Like they do at the Imperial Hotel. In Tokyo.
0: So one of the things that really struck me is the end sequence this this ties into what we were saying before about um, the link between sort of real world conspiracy theories and some of the basic premises of this film, you know which is that there are um clandestine agencies in this film that are doing bad things to the world as clear enemies, and within that there's this idea if the truth is found and everyone finds the truth and so discovers the truth, and now and then things will get better. And I think that's really played out in um, the sequence there, whereby the low-techs, who, in the film at least, are basically WikiLeaks, as far as I can tell. So the (laughs) idea is that information comes to them. So the name would suggest that they are... um, Anti-technology, but they're actually using technology. They are to um, transmit things, and he they- talks
1: about VHSs at one point, didn't he? He talked about we we transmit via VHS, old school style.
0: Yeah, so it's sort of like they're using kind. So it's kind of low tech. They're using um, more basic technologies. They they transmit through televisions and things like that. So yeah, so you get this sequence where um, they're about to finally transmit the cure to everyone. So uh, and and Jabon sort of says, "Like, get your VHSs ready to record this. This is the truth that's coming out, and it's a single um, synchronous transmission. So you better hope that someone with the <laughs> skill to do something about it has got their VHS ready at two minutes, two seconds notice. Uh, VCR. The revelation of technology isn't is a good in itself." that somehow we're enriched by it. Um, (laughs) In academia we've got a debate about open access, which has been just the standard practice in the sciences for quite a while, which is that it's better for science if there are no paywalls in order to access data and um, research and things like that. In the humanities it gets a little bit odd because it's not clear why having free access to um, an obscure secondary source essay on Derrida is helpful to the average person. But there's just a sense that you know, the information must be available to everyone. Everything must be as accessible and open and um, available and constantly standing in reserve for everyone. And Heidegger's philosophy of technology really indicates this as starting to happen in the information age. And you kind of get this sort of visual display of that because people are reacting like this cure that's been transmitted, this thing that is essentially esoteric. You know, you, you have to be a, not just a, a scientist, but a scientist of the required specialism within a specialism to find transmission of a cure useful. The mere revelation of the information. To be able to do anything about that, or even understand what it is to decode it in any way, you need to have certain knowledge and certain skills. Uh, but what we get is just ordinary people seeing it as so though that is what's going to illumine and save masses when really what you need is medical scientists to go off and then spend ages they probably take them weeks to even understand the data that they've been given and then produce the thing but with this what happens is the people see the disclosure information the truth is revealed and then pharmacore's headquarters sets on fire magically you know we don't we don't see what's happened there i mean presumably there's some sort of terrorist attack in response to the bad things or maybe pharmacore have burned down their skyscraper because they don't want to get did anyone get subpoenaed for <laughs> the information that's out?
1: Joe j Bone guesses that um, the people from the streets have risen up because he's let yeah. the information out that Pharmacore were um, yeah. have been keeping this information to themselves. But you're right; he's just he's just making yeah. a susposition there.
0: Yeah, but there's there's this kind of you know. I think I think in a film in a, in a film the the worst part of it is that it's a little bit underexplained <laughs> the ending of the film. But there's There's a logic there. Transferring that to the real world, that we talk about conspiracy theories, the belief that all you need is the revelation of truth and everyone will stand up and respond to it is quite damaging and inaccurate in the real world. You know, things like, um, I don't know, think of the 2016 American election when um, that tape of uh, Trump talking about sexually harassing women in, in proud tones and bragging about it. There was a sort of sense in, a sense of, oh, well, now that everyone's seen that, that truth has been revealed, the bad thing won't happen and he won't get elected of course, he gets elected. Not easily, but he does get elected. Yeah, the truth just isn't that powerful. <laughs> the truth requires some sort of knowledge and education on behalf, on the part of people in order to even receive or understand the truth and have that motion within yourself to suddenly change the way you look at things. So I just I just found it... Interestingly, awry the end of the film, the message of the end of that film that the truth will set you free, doesn't. Uh, the truth is never enough.
1: I, 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 i I love that reading. I love the reading where you're saying, you know, the truth is just not that powerful. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'd go even further to say that that people will see these moments where the truth is revealed as, as a, as a lie in itself. I mean, how do, you, how is it? How is it verified anyway but I saw it in, yeah. a, in a sense very much like his re, his return of memory there's two there's the two narrative closures of the film yeah he gets his memory back but that's a ruse as I was talking about earlier yeah. that's the ruse of the subject and the other ruse is this ruse out there in the world which is the barred other the God is dead the, and that return of this information to the world I, I I mean I could narratively justify it by saying think about all of those Lost Doctor Who episodes that the BBC junked, and Mm. you know they were all recorded by people on their little tape recorders of television, uh, orally at least. You know, and we got some clips Mm. filmed from television. And they eventually, when the big BBC, yep, wanted this, wanted this stuff back, yep, it could be returned. It's almost like another function of the internet. He's put it out there, all of this information to so many different people that it can be pieced together again it can be pieced together again in other words so I could narratively justify it in that idea of a representation in a very literal way but I think the point is a philosophical one I actually think it's it's in a sense with you there Matt it's mm. it's with you that that it's 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 calling that just in the same way it's calling out the idea that you know of the bard subject is calling out that there's something coming to save us that that this will resolve you know, that, that letting this information out there will somehow solve the world. It won't. And I think the film's actually happy that you had that reading. I would I would say if Robert Longo heard that explanation and and writer William Gibson heard the explanation he'd give, they'd point to you and go, Matt, you got us.
0: That's
1: it. That's what we wanted you yeah, to take away.
0: I'm sure they'd say that. <laughs>